I'm Jason Barnwell, and I lead Microsoft's modern CELA team. Today, I'm joined by Beth Henderson, our senior attorney leading pro bono for Microsoft's corporate external and legal affairs department, Seema Serafin, senior attorney for Microsoft marketing and consumer business, and Thomas Burke, a partner with Davis Wright Tremaine, a Microsoft strategic partner. He's the co-chair of the pro bono and social impact committees. Also has one of the most fun uh, page bios I've seen that says, I defend speech and fight government secrecy, which is awesome. Thank you all for making the time to chat with us today. This is what I hope will be a series of conversations that we have with Beth, Beth Henderson, uh, really digging into the Microsoft Pro Bono program. Microsoft it has a special experience for the attorneys and legal professionals who are in our department because we have a pro bono program, which is led by Beth, who is building something that is special and durable and is creating lots of impact and value. And so that's one of the things that makes our experience here a little bit different and a little bit awesome. And today we're talking about a specific program that is being led in partnership with Davis Wright Tremaine, specifically focused on protecting journalists. And so Seema, I was hoping you could give us a little bit of background on what is the issue here that is being solved? So yeah, what's being solved is the fact that journalists uh, who are vital to our democracy, vital to a robust and enduring democracy, are often facing challenges that many folks uh, face where the law is essentially, I would say, used as or creates a barrier to their ability to, you know, deliver their profession. And um, that was something that I had observed, I'd seen, I'd heard about. The journalists were being particularly hard hit by a lot of the changes and how news and information were being delivered. Um, I had occasion to attend a CLE that Davis Wright Tremaine put on for defending journalists uh, who were being subpoenaed to court, uh, subpoenaed in a way where they would have to be divulging potentially confidential information. I attended that thinking this would be a really interesting thing to learn more about. And when I did, I left there thinking, God, I really wish I could practice this kind of law. And I knew in the back of my mind that thanks to Beth Anderson and Dev Stolkoff, we were being encouraged to be creative uh, in providing pro bono services to those in need. And so I think the two things merged in my mind. I knew there were journalists who are vital to our, to our democracy, who were probably not being able to tell their story, tell the stories they were developing and do the work that we all need to be informed citizens. And the blocker was money to be able to afford a lawyer. And I also knew that on the other side, I had an opportunity that I could potentially provide through pro bono services that Microsoft would support an avenue to that. And that got me thinking about how could I get there? And that's where I put, I think, an email out to Tom Burke after I thought about it and wondered, could I do that first individually? And then I got, I guess, a little bit ambitious and thought, well, forget individually, maybe we could partner. And that's when I contacted Tom Burke and together we thought about how we could in partnership support journalists who qualified for pro bono services 
and provide them the legal support that might be needed and helpful for them to be able to do their job. So I want to circle back on a couple things. So one, you went to a CLE that actually activated you. That is amazing and wonderful. I mean, I, look, I, let's, let's just embrace that many CLEs do not evoke this level of passion in people. So uh, whoever put on the CLE, fantastic job, wonderful. The other thing that I'll observe is that you spotted an opportunity and it didn't sound like you, you waited for somebody to tell you that you could act. It, it, it sounds like you got very entrepreneurial. Is that fair? It is fair. Um, I, I would say a few things kind of, you know, came to mind. Uh, Beth is a great proponent and explainer, I will say, of pro bono opportunities within the company. So uh, within our legal department. So I had been, I would say, an active member of the broader pro bono uh, team for a while. And I knew that that we were encouraged not only to avail ourselves of already programs, but that if we wanted to individually, we could also essentially take something on because Dev and Beth had set up malpractice insurance. So I could just go out in theory on my own, where I think you would say I was entrepreneurial was maybe also impacted by having attended Davis Wright CLE. I came to appreciate this was not an area where you'd want to go and figure things out as you went. So I thought, you know, it'd be really good if I was partnered with someone who truly understood how to do this. And that's where I think it was a combination of both wanting to ensure that I could deliver at the caliber that we all want to deliver legal services. And I think excited to be able to do something that would make me smarter and be, be fun. So I want to get into the specifics of this program, but now you've opened the door on, on something that I, I want to learn a little bit more about. So, so Beth, it sounds like there are two really interesting things that you've solved for that remove, let's just call it friction from somebody like SEMA getting to the point of creating impact. It sounds like there's this internal marketplace of opportunities, which sounds really cool, but it also sounds like you've created the other infrastructure mechanisms that allow her to go faster uh, to, you know, there's there's some existing infrastructure, shall we say, that, uh, you know, handles things like, you know, malpractice and other aspects. And so is, is that true? Like, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, the way we sort of think about our pro bono program is we have our curated opportunities by which we mean me and uh, the team I work with, we develop specific opportunities and make it as easy as possible for our volunteers to plug into them. So an example of that would be Kids in Need of Defense, which has been our signature pro bono program um, for many years. And you know, through that, we provide lots of support, lots of trainings, lots of ways for those who are interested at Microsoft to get involved uh, to provide legal to support to unaccompanied kids who are placed in immigration proceedings. And then we also have developed what we call uh, immersive pro bono opportunities. Uh, those, of course, look a little bit different now that we are living uh, in COVID. But before COVID, what we were doing is developing opportunities for volunteers to spend um, a week um, just focused on 
their pro bono work. And a good example of that was our Dilly Pro Bono Project, where we would send a team of Microsoft volunteers to the Immigrant Detention Center in Dilly, Texas, um, and they would spend that entire week supporting the women and children who are detained um, in those immigration detention centers there. And then the third um, sort of pathway that we've developed is what we call our grassroots opportunities. And that's where this one that SEMA has talked about, I think, you know, really fits in where we've developed sort of the, the structure so that people like SEMA and the department can really go after the thing that most inspires them. Um, and so by, you know, having malpractice insurance, um, this has allowed Microsoft attorneys and volunteers to say, you know, I can create something new. I don't necessarily have to partner with a legal services organization that provides volunteers with malpractice insurance. Um, and then what we've also done with this particular opportunity is, you know, provide sort of the programmatic and operational and uh, technical support. And so we're doing really cool things with Microsoft technology to automate our processes. And we're using Teams, which is more important than ever in this virtual world that we're living in, you know, to create community, to bring the volunteers together from both Microsoft and Davis Wright, to build the infrastructure that we need um, to really support this program. And so it's been sort of great to see this subject matter expertise and strong legal knowledge that we have from Davis Wright, the passion and the drive from SEMA to really get this off the ground, and then you know the operational and programmatic and technical support that my team's able to provide. And you know together we've been really able to create something that's new and new and unique. So congratulations, because you, you're going to get invited back to a future episode, because we need to do a double click on what you've built, because this is just too cool to, to not pick up. So stay, <laughs> stay tuned, folks. <laughs> Beth will be coming back. So Seema, you're, you know, you go to this amazing CLE, you're activated, and now you, you're engaging with Thomas. Can you like, so what did that look like? What, what happened? How did it start? What was the spark? Well, I will say what was you know, back to the CLE, you know, I left there with a, a binder as well as soft copy information. And I remember just sheepishly saying, can I take two? Um, you know, I mean, they kind of were like, hey, you know, you can't, we expect you to take one. And it was in New York. I left with two because I thought someone else is going to want to do this too. So I first sheepishly was thinking me and some other person on my team is going to want this, but I'm not sharing my materials. So I'm taking my own back. And at some point, I think that morphed as I thought about it into, I think, me going back to a colleague of Tom's named Bruce Johnson and asking him, hey, I have this idea. And I, I think somehow that took me to Tom, who had not met me before and may rue the day that he did meet me by um, email. But I, I think at some point after checking with Beth um, and just saying, are you sure I could really do this if I wanted to, she said yes, and I confirmed and double checked. As I started thinking about it, I just thought we have so many opportunities of things we do that are interesting, but this would be one that would be quite unique and I thought would tap into many people's, I think, similar desire to do good in the world in a place where it's needed and maybe there's not 
already support. So I think I cold called maybe by email Tom, um, and I do remember something along the lines of, uh, it would be a dream to partner with Microsoft. So I threw, I threw out an idea and said, what if we considered doing this together, but we did it in a manner that is two in the box. And I think that was, um, you know, it's an opportunity. It's also a greater imposition, I would say, on Davis Wright. And knowing something about Davis Wright on two fronts was important. I knew that they were experts and widely regarded as experts, which are two different things. There's many places that are experts, but they're not widely respected by both journalists and lawyers. And I knew Davis Wright was one. But the other piece is I had worked across pro bono matters and had seen Davis Wright step up consistently with a robust program on pro bono. So I felt pretty comfortable and confident saying I'd love to partner. If we did it two in the box, then other people whose eyes might be bigger than their stomach, like me, in terms of sounds really great, but I really, it's been a long time since I've done anything in this space, um, they might also feel confident and comfortable saying, I get to pair with someone who's truly an expert, and after a few iterations, I'll be smarter and not feel you know, like like the junior, junior, junior associate. And so that was, I think, the proposal. And then Tom and I at some point emailed and then talked. And I was really delighted because it was a real enthusiasm that, frankly, so far I've not yet killed. Uh, so far, I think Tom is still very happily on board, but I'll let him speak for that because he's never actually met me in person. This has all been thanks to COVID email and teams, and yet we all still get along. So Tom, maybe you want to disabuse me of the notion that you're still happy to be working with me or you want to take it from here. <laughs> so it's fascinating. I, you know, you raised that, Seema. I'm not sure what this would have looked like differently if, if, if not for COVID, but certainly COVID has affected it. And, and like everything else, we've just kind of adapted on the way. But I have to say at the start, Jason, you know, you've now promoted that uh, Davis Wright CLE to, to, to proportions. It's, it's never possibly uh, ever going to be able to be repeated. But I, I, I want to go back to that because the genesis of that CLE in New York was a, a, a program that had been offered for a few years in California um, uh, that I put together for for the First Amendment Coalition, a, a group that's also working with us on um, this Protecting Journalists program. And the goal of the training was to basically teach new lawyers, uh, and, and they didn't need to be new, new in practice, but lawyers who were not media lawyers, how to help journalists do um, work that, that needed a bigger bench. Uh, and that that really was the sole goal. The goal was to say, look, if you're interested in doing media law and you don't do it now, there's plenty of opportunities to come down the pike. Um, here's an area that's really interesting, really sensitive, it's fast moving, and we're gonna do a training on it. In fact, I have a training, uh, this year's training I'm doing in a couple of days, uh, same kind of training uh, with the same goal. And so when SEMA contacted me 
it was as if the whole purpose of that uh, CLE program, which started out in San Francisco and then moved to our DC and New York City offices, had been achieved, which was it was trying to to extend pro bono support, but also training for lawyers to get involved in representing journalists. This this area, media law, is something that a significant number of my colleagues at the firm at Davis Wright practice, uh, and we've had a media practice for decades. Um, but the idea of connecting it with pro bono is something that uh, I wanted to do uh, in the last several years. I, I head our firm's uh, pro bono and uh, social impact committee and uh, working with Joanna Boyson and Rachel Brown of our, our firm, we, we basically were looking for an opportunity and lo and lo and behold, SEMA came up with it. So can you tell us a little bit about what you have built here uh, and give us a little bit of sense of, you know, who, who are your customers who are, are served by your program and, and how do they show up and how do you help them? Well, the short-term goal, the short-term goal is to, is to set up this program. And I have to say, it's not an easy undertaking. And as I disclaimed uh, a million times to Seema and to Beth, uh, who has uh, incredible patience, uh, that I had no idea what I was doing with respect to setting up a, a program like this, because this is basically, but for perhaps organizing it officially as a nonprofit organization, it's essentially a standalone program to protect journalists that is starting out in California and Washington State as a pilot program, uh, but aims to go nationwide in the future and will involve, uh, in, in my eyes, and I, I think it's the same for SEMA and Microsoft's, it will involve uh, other corporate departments beyond Microsoft and other legal departments or other law firms besides Davis Wright. And the goal is basically going to be the same, uh, same as that now infamous CLE, uh, which is to expand the bench. And the ultimate goal being to provide, and this sounds crude, but I, I think the media bar needs more ballast. We need more lawyers. And um, in specific areas where uh, a lawyer who might not have a background can be trained and also work uh, as Seema says, two in a box with a, uh, a media lawyer who can, can teach them. Uh, the goal is basically to provide resources to journalists who would otherwise not have a lawyer beside them. And I don't have to tell you that there, there are two major sources that have had a detrimental effect beyond the pandemic in the last several years uh, for journalists particularly freelance journalists in this country. One has been the political environment, uh, which has been uh, very difficult for journalists to work in. Uh, and the second has been basically a, uh, a collapse, an economic collapse of uh, resources so that um, you know, the number of newspapers the number of news organizations, the number of journalists who are actually doing their craft in this country has fallen dramatically. It's even fallen by tens of thousands uh, during COVID. And so there couldn't be a better time for this program. There couldn't be a greater need for this program. Uh, it doesn't replace other uh, 
uh, nonprofit organizations that are out there, and there are fine organizations across the country that regularly help journalists. It's intended to be support for those organizations to provide legal bandwidth, as it were, to those organizations that are already helping journalists. And there's four, there are four basically areas at the moment that protecting journalists is operating in. The first is providing pre-publication review and counseling to journalists who are preparing uh, stories for publication. That could be for print publication, it could be online, it could be a podcast. In some instances down the road, it could be potentially a documentary. Um, and that is giving them legal counsel and advice. Ultimately, the call is theirs as to what they publish, but we highlight risks and we talk through potential risks with them uh, on a pre-publication basis. Second category is occupying both state and federal uh, law. So it's categories two and three, but it's basically the availability to have lawyers assist journalists in public records litigation, either federal FOIA, uh, Federal Freedom of Information Act cases, or Public Records Act cases under state, state law in, in particular states. And the fourth category is what the subject matter of the um, previously overhyped CLE, um, and that's uh, defending journalists facing subpoenas. And um, depending on the kind of subpoena that they face, uh, those are very delicate situations, and there's not a lot of lawyers who know how to to handle those things. But it's not something it's not something that can't be taught. And so the goal is to basically expand that bench, uh, to get people uh, who are you know qualified lawyers and, and eager to help in a position to be able to help journalists who face subpoenas. Subpoenas, you know, occur far less often than the other two work streams, three work streams, but um, that, that's basically what the program is covering. So there has been this institutional con contraction of the of basically journalism entities. And so that's one thing that's squeezing. There is a limited supply of uh, legal professionals who are qualified to really counsel on these issues. And there's this increasing pressure coming from, you know, many sources that are creating risk for journalists. So this sounds like a perfect storm for the fourth estate to not be in a great situation to contribute to our society. And so <laughs> thank you for doing this because as a beneficiary of these, uh, the, the outputs of, of publication and journalism, um, it's it's just critical for you know our really our way of life. So well, Jason, and, and I I really want to emphasize something. Seema said it a couple of different times. I mean, there's all kinds of businesses that face market pressures and they go under, um, and and that is the nature of business and the like. But this is a business that is intimately connected with the public's ability to learn what is up with their government, what government actions are going on, what records support what is going on, but also just to defend the journalists themselves who are delivering the truthful information that we need to rely on as a democracy. It is intimately connected to our survival as a democracy in the United States, uh, the survival of journalism. It's as, it's as basic as that. I, yeah, I would just say one thing that I think that triggers for me uh, that Tom said is I've been 
struck by how I think savvy and respectful journalists are about the law. And that's, you know, that's a double-edged sword. So if someone says, I'm going to sue you if, if you publish that, they understand what that can mean. And they don't want to have a defamation suit against them. So legal counsel matters because it may be the guidance that is between them making the decision to click send and have that story, that truth go somewhere and have or have it stay on it, their device and never leave. And I think that's really important. And when it comes to you know, public records requests, think about what you need in a democracy, accountability comes after some level of transparency. So if your public records request is sitting there not being actioned uh, because the public entity thinks, well, if they really want it, they will do something. They will file, you know, they'll file a suit against me. The entire arc of that story may come and go while that complacency of the entity sits there. So, so that is, it's a way of, I think, silencing the very, you know, uh, the voices that push for accountability and transparency. So these are all tools that are intended to support our democracy. And, you know, to take a page off of Brad Smith, it's a law is a tool, it's a weapon. Um, and, and so the very two things that are intended for our democracy to survive, the law and truth and fact, can be, you know, thwarted. They, you can use the law to suppress truth, and as much as it's also there to support the truth. So I, I find that interplay very important, and and I also just think of the livelihood of a journalist. We as pro bono lawyers have opportunities through something called Communities Rise that um, Beth can talk about. You know, an entrepreneur who's an artist who wants to go, you know, start uh, selling their art similarly has come and said, I need help with trademark, with copyright. And we are doing good in the world by helping them, enable them to, you know, have their craft be useful, have it support them. And in the, uh, with that lens, we're doing that here with journalists too. We're ensuring they're able to deliver on the profession that they have honed, the experiences they've honed. And I think we're also supporting our democracy. So I think both of those lenses really, you know, come to the fore with this. I, I love the passion that rings out when you talk about this, because this is why people go to law school, right? These are the impact opportunities. When you're talking about, you know, removing the chilling effects, that slow information coming to the public so that we can be more informed and hold our elected officials accountable, that's a real thing. And it's meaningful and it's important. And so I can see why you got really excited when you realized there was this gap, this this that this thing that you could address with your skill set. But I also I want to circle back on something because you highlighted that you know like th these are deep waters, right? This is this is real substantive law with real real risk and impact. And so I'm curious if you can give us a little bit more about how folks like you are working with DWT professionals to be two in the box and to 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 drive great outcomes. Yeah, I, I, I want to say we started out with a very detailed training program, which uh, has been recorded. And, and we have uh, we, we went through each of the four categories that we work in and and tried to give uh, a, a, a very detailed uh, outline of, of what 
kind of processes you go through, say, for handling a pre-publication review matter or a state public records act matter, whether it's under Washington state law or California law, and then also under federal FOIA. And then we walk through, at least in uh, within the Ninth Circuit, kind of what is the rule both in California and Washington state and in federal court uh, for subpoenas, depending on the, the nature of the subpoena. So there is the substantive training because there's no there's no better start than that. And then, you know, the, the thing that the thing that SEMA doesn't point out is that there's a lot of parallels to other work that other people already do. So pre-publication review, which is which is kind of its own um, uh, skill area, is, is a situation where there are different styles, but it all involves very critically at, at what's going to be published and think about it think about it from the perspective of um, someone who might sue you so uh, I I've been doing that kind of work for 30 years and I've got a, a technique that I use that's been you know uh, developed over the last 30 years but also I've had libel matters and invasion of privacy matters uh, over those years too so I I I take things that I've learned from those lawsuits and say, okay, well, if I were a journalist, I I could maybe avoid this lawsuit in the future if I did the following. And you kind of roll it all together, and um, that that has an approach for me. But others at the firm who will help on prepublication matters have their own approach. And one of the good things about this is you can find that there's really no definitive way that you've got to do something. And as much as as much as I may be teaching, I know my other colleagues have reported back that they are they're hearing, you know, uh, they're hearing clients who they're working with that are picking up on things, and it's really kind of an iterative process. It's very satisfying, uh, and of course, from the journalist's perspective, if they can avoid being sued, I mean, it's it's night and day. It's a it's a it's a luxury basically to have a lawyer be able to vet their work. If they're in a big newsroom, they're going to have that. If they're in a small newsroom, they probably don't even have access to a lawyer to vet something. So it's a real luxury, but it's also the sort of kind of comfort blanket that you want to give to a journalist. If you're protecting the journalist, you want to help them publish and, and help them publish in a way so they don't feel like they're going to get sued. So that leads to, a, I think, really a, an examination of so what does success look like for your program like what are what are you seeing what are you learning well, i think one of the markers of success is um is the fact that we're getting very enthusiastic responses from the journalists that we're working with whether it's uh, journalists who are getting lawyers for the first time to help them with public records act lawsuits or those who are, are getting support for uh, pre-publication review projects uniformly, I think, frankly, as you might imagine, the journalists are ecstatic that they have legal support, that it's free, that it's of the quality that it is, uh, and, and they're, they're impressed by the dedication. And, and to me, um, the more opportunities you do, the more journalists you help, the more sort of responses that you give, uh, whether, they're, whether they're effusive or not, it's just the fact that they are they're coming to us and, and they want help. And, and that's just such a rare thing right now. It's such a rare thing to have something like this be available. Uh, 
Um, and so I, I think success is, is going forward, refining the processes so that we can expand the network of corporate departments and, and law firms that are that are a part of this program. And, and uh, you know, if you invite us back in five years, I predict we will be nationwide and we will have done hundreds and hundreds of projects. I, I genuinely believe that's gonna be the case. I think we'll be a standalone organization that is basically in the end still providing ballast, as it were, additional bench support for the nonprofits who journalists connect with and, and say, can, can somebody please help me? Wow. So that is exciting ambition uh, measured against something that is a real problem for society. And so I applaud what you're doing because it can have serious impact. I also love that you're thinking about the systemic effects of, you know, how these things fit together and how you can make the pieces work together. And as you're telling your story, you know, earlier we used the term chilling. And on some level, uh, you know, it sounds like you're warming things in as much as people feel like it sounds like the journalists feel empowered to go faster, to take smart risks, to really deliver their their the quality product into the, into the market faster. And that sounds like a fantastic outcome. So if well, people. I, the, the one thing I would say on that, though, is that they're already doing the risks, but it's just unacceptable that they don't have legal support behind them for it. I mean. Again, if you go back to the democracy angle, you need this information in order to function, whether it's at the local, the state, or the national level. You, you, you know, it's in the air. We just breathe it. We take it for granted in the United States. We take free speech for granted. We take uh, information being public for granted. And it's only there because there's a journalist or journalists behind it making it public and taking the risks to publish it in the first place. And more and more, there are, are freelancers that are doing this on their own. There are smaller newsrooms with uh, you know, not a lot of room. And so the whole goal of protecting journalists is to, is to support them, to support the nonprofit organizations who refer work to us. Um, they are absolutely integral to our success. We're not replacing them. We're, we're being the uh, support behind them, uh, the legal support behind them. And all of those things, I, I, I think the goal is really to is to really make it so that journalists feel as though there's a sizable amount of the, the bar ultimately across America who want to support them, who want to basically help them out. I think it's just worth noting, uh, Tom, you mentioned the nonprofits and it's worth mentioning them. Um, that was, you know, another area where, again, partnering with lawyers who are firmly rooted in this area like Thomas was invaluable because when we were trying to figure out how to make this work, we were trying to, and Beth can speak to this, emulate you know, a qualified legal service provider, which we were not. So meaning, we're like, okay, we're trying to act like an entity like kind that took years to develop. So how do we do that? And, and essentially what we try to do is we are leveraging partnerships that frankly Tom had for years uh, with groups like Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press, the First Amendment Coalition, and um, the Washington Coalition for Open Government. And we're essentially saying your ears to the ground you hear from journalists 
as you come across a journalist who you feel meets our criteria, our work streams, and you can narrow it to these locations of Washington State and California, send them our way. And that's essentially a great and valuable partnership because it allows us to work with pretty much a, um, a minimal bare bones operation of 12 volunteers, essentially across two groups, um, Davis Wright and Microsoft, and then lean on the good partnership of these three groups. And I will just say the training that you know Tom talked about was fantastic. And one of the things that was what was interesting is I think we set the date way back in February or March and then COVID came and we thought we were all going to be seeing each other in person and there was going to be some love festy you know introductions to people that we talked over the phone to and frankly nothing changed we kind of pivoted and turned it into it um, with with Beth's team's great support we were able to turn it into you know a, a recorded live event that went really well with people from Davis Wright from their New York office and their LA and San Francisco and Seattle offices. And it was, it was, I think, really well attended. I think one of the highest ever for Microsoft volunteers, but it was also really robust, but full of great anecdotes, which always makes a training particularly useful and memorable. So I, I but more than anything, I think it was a commitment. It was a show of commitment because we could have easily said, let's kick this off to September. None of us were expecting COVID to, to show up in that way. And it really was a testament to how much everybody wanted to do this. Well, you're doing righteous work and this is a fabulous story. If somebody out there wants to support this effort, what's the best way for them to get involved? I think Beth has a great alias that they could um, use, but I, I think actually we would say if somebody uh, wants to get involved as an attorney within Microsoft or Davis Wright, they would contact their pro bono groups. But a journalist out there, there's we have those three nonprofits, Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press, First Amendment uh, Coalition, and the Washington Coalition for Open Government. Each of them is essentially acting as our, I would say, first phase of review. They know very well what our work streams are and how to assess a set of facts and tell us if it's within the band or not within the band. And from there we go to conflicts checks and the other things to ensure that we really can deliver uh, the legal service. So I think that's where I would start. And there is a nice website um, on Davis Wright Tremaine uh, currently where they can see the links to those three organizations. And I think one of the things in our future will be, you know, maybe up leveling and having some other fancier site. But right now we are, I, we're, re we're relying on those great partnerships. Fantastic. We will make sure to get all the links into the show notes so people who want to learn more and follow up will have an easy path to do that. Beth, Seema, Tom, thank you so much for making time to chat with us today. This really is an energizing and fabulous story, and you are doing work that is very necessary. So thank you for making an impact because it, it's, it is real. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, thanks for having us.